Hello, and welcome back to Holding Space for Therapists, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. I'm so excited that you're here because in today's episode, I'm sharing my conversation with my friend, Elizabeth Earnshaw. Liz is a licensed marriage and family therapist. You might know her on social media as at Liz Listens. In this episode, Liz shares with us her experience in making the transition from working at an agency to launching her own business and her modern private practice. Now, Liz has a very successful private practice, but what I love about this episode is that she gets real honest about the mistakes she made along the way, the challenges that she faced, and she shares some of the real tangible ways that she started her business with a very low budget, the scrappy things that she did to make it work, to get her to where she is today. All right, so there's something else I want to address here. Liz and I had a really great conversation after our recording. I wish that it had gotten recorded, actually, about the fact that her and I actually have very similar offerings. So she has her own course to support therapists who are hoping to run their own business. And if you're listening to this, you potentially probably know that I have my own course, Modern Therapist Academy. And I love that her and I got a chance to talk about that. I think that so many times scarcity mindset can show up when we are running a business or offering services, even as a therapist in private practice. If there's a provider in your area who maybe has a similar specialty that you have or a similar niche, you might hesitate to connect with that person. You might see them as your competition. And unfortunately, scarcity mindset can keep us from making those connections when The truth is that being able to connect with those people can sometimes be the best step that we can take. I have loved connecting with Liz over her process and experience in having a course and offering consultation for therapists. We share a lot of the same passions. But we're all so different. There's enough room for all of us. Yes, it's been done before. Yes, the service has, is being offered by someone else. But there is still room for you. And I want you to hear this because I really think that it's relevant for our field. Don't hesitate to make those connections. Recognize that unfortunately, scarcity mindset can get in the way of all of this. But while yes, there's other people out there that have your same niche and specialty, your voice is what makes you unique. All right. I'm so excited to get a chance to share this episode with all of you. So let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space for Therapists, a podcast for modern therapists. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I'm passionate about supporting therapists and building profitable, sustainable, and meaningful private practices. Are you ready to build or grow your modern private practice? Let's dive in. Hello, Liz. I am so excited that we're doing this and to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to record this with me. Thank you for having me on. I'm such a big fan of yours and everything that you're doing with therapists. <laughs> Vice versa. Oh my gosh, you are probably one of the first clinicians that I found here on this space. I'm trying to think how I initially found your page. You and um, Nicole, Dr. Nicole, holistic psychologist, are friends. You guys know each other, right? Yes. Yeah. And um, she worked my practice for a little bit. So we've worked together clinically. Yeah. Too. 
Yes, I she was on the podcast and she was sharing a little bit of her context and I think that somehow came up. And then I was like, I think that's actually how I either met, I either found her or you through both of you. So I was like, I knew you guys were connected somehow. Yeah, and I think I've been connected to you, I don't know, maybe following you since I started Instagram. Like I've yeah. known your existence so long, I don't even know <laughs> when I first learned of it. <laughs> Isn't that so funny when like, you know, you've never, I've never met you in person, but I feel like you're part of my therapist community. I think that is one of the really cool things about the online platforms such as social media. I mean, it, they're definitely double-edged swords and there can be a lot of challenges that come with showing up in that space, but I just really feel like it has expanded my community with clinicians. And when you're in private practice, it can be so isolating. And so having that space has, and having those, those connections and that community has been vital, I feel like for my sort of like sustainability, um, being an entrepreneur and being a business owner. Have you had a similar experience? I totally agree. To- no, same experience. And I think a lot of times when um, we talk about how social media is utilized by therapists, mm-hmm. sometimes we're focusing on like the marketing aspect of it. But yeah. for me, the ability to connect professionally with other therapists has honestly been like one of the biggest benefits for me. Um yeah just having a community where I felt a little bit isolated before being in private practice. Um, And even just learning from other therapists where they'll share something and I'm like, oh, I actually never knew about that Mm -hmm. technique Mm -hmm. or I never thought about it that way. It's it's really been just such an amazing aspect of, of being on social media. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Well, let's let's. I want to get to know your context and your background a little bit more, um, and also just introduce you to the listeners through that. So, could you actually share a little bit about what brought you to this work and to this field, and a little bit about yeah, just your background and context? Absolutely. Originally, I went to school to be a teacher, actually, um, and I found that I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> I love that honesty. It's just like, you know what? I tried it. I mean, for me, I was pre-med and I was like doing all the internships and I was like, you know what? I don't think this is my jam. (laughs) Yeah, that was me too. (laughs) I have so much respect for teachers because Mm -hmm. it was so overstimulating for me, Um, which is great that I ended up in a room with, you know, one or two people instead of 30 (laughs) for my job. But um, yeah, so I went to school to be a teacher and I decided that, like I said, it was way too overstimulating for me. Um, And then I went to school for organizational development. Like I switched from that to um, really thinking about doing a career in consulting at schools. Um, that was what I thought my dream was at that point. And so I have a degree in organizational development, which if you're wondering, it's not about organizing your house. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's about how like businesses, organizations, agencies, how they, um, operate and how you can help them to operate better. So that was something I really liked. Um, but then I graduated and I was thinking like, who the hell is going to hire me? <laughs> <laughs> to tell them how to run their agency or their business when mm-hmm. 
literally my only experience in a school was um, teaching in my internship or my um, placements. So I kind of felt super lost. And I have no um, like beautiful story about how I decided to be a therapist other than I was driving down the highway one day. And if you're familiar with Philadelphia, it was 676 um, near South Philly, which is like a very unattractive part of the highway. And there was this billboard that said, do you want to be a marriage or sex therapist? And I was like, maybe. <laughs> You like responded to the billboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I really did. And it was, it was a very like basic billboard and mm-hmm. it, I just, I went home though and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, yeah, actually I do think that I want to do that. Um, I've always yeah. wanted to help people. I loved one-on-one interactions with, um, families in school. And really the thing that was wrong with the school was it was too overstimulating, but maybe this would be something for me. And that afternoon I applied to one program, um, -hmm. and I did an interview and I got in and honestly, it was just one of those moments where it was meant to be like, I'm so glad I was driving down that part of the road and, (laughs) went this direction. And of course, as therapists, we know nothing is ever just happenstance. Yes. Of course, like my entire life, all I've cared about is thinking about people's relationships with each other and their connections right. with each other. And I just never knew how I was going to turn that into a career. Um, yeah. So yeah. So then I ended up being, um, you know, a therapist. And again, didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I moved to New Orleans. I got a fantastic job there helping um, a school try to figure out how to manage things after Hurricane Katrina in terms of Mm. mental health. I got to do so much cool work with Tulane University um, and I loved it and I was actually being paid well. Like it was one of those jobs where they did pay me, you know, what I think I was worth at the time. And, I love hearing that that narrative yeah. around being paid what you were worth because I know in our field, I mean, sometimes throughout someone's entire career, but definitely in the beginning, there's just sort of this like expectation that you either aren't going to be paid or mm-hmm. that you're going to be paid very little. And I mean, it definitely, I know for me, it contributed to like, you know, how much student loans I took out and um you know, it was, it was just really difficult. So it's, I'm so glad to hear that, that you had that experience. Yeah, it was a great experience. And I had done some other interviews and, you know, they were offering me like $30,000 a year or something like that. So I left school feeling really concerned. I got this job and it was a great offer. Um, and I commend them for that because they could have offered me way less. And I went down, I did this job and then I moved back to Philadelphia um, after a few years, because the course of the job was kind of finished, like things were being rebuilt and restabilized. And so I came back to Philly and that is where I learned about how poorly therapists are treated. (laughs) (laughs) That's still, I still had that exposure too. I still had it, Cassidy. I did not. (laughs) I did not get away from that. Um, And yeah, so I was offered a job that they offered me 10,000 less than what I was making, which Mm. was still a pretty good offer. It was, Mm -hmm. it was bearable. Um, But then about a month in, you will not believe this. 
they pulled me into a room and actually mm-hmm. probably everybody listening will believe this if they've worked in an agency. <laughs> they yeah. pulled me into a room and they said, oh, there was a clerical error. Um, it's actually even 10,000 less than this. Um, oh my God. Oh my God. Is that legal? Like, no, <laughs> no. And my dad's an attorney and you better believe I did not sign that document. Anybody listening, do not sign documents when people mm-hmm. can't see you. And they asked me, you know, on the spot, will you sign this? Um, saying that you understand it was a clerical error and that we're going to have to, um, you know, shift your future paychecks to make up for overpaying you the last few, I mean, all sorts of Oh my of gosh. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And so that is where, um, that is a long story about where I started getting fired up about the way that therapists are treated because I just couldn't believe it. And I knew that many people would have signed that paper and accepted oh, yeah. it. Yeah, because maybe they didn't have the experience I had where I was paid well, or I have, you know, the lucky situation that I have an attorney for a father. So I'm a little bit more like suspicious when people yeah, both my both my parents are attorneys too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're public defenders and um yeah. yeah, it's just like it is I mean it's def- it's diff- different kind of law, but like it's they are, it's always been ingrained in me. Like, do not sign something until you have someone else look over it, you know? And like by someone, it's like ideally an attorney, (laughs) right? Like someone who can actually read these sort of things. But also, I mean, there's like, there's power at play in the room, right? Like I I imagine like the people who are saying you need, like you need to, you need to sign this and sign it now have power. And that is, Oh, that's a really difficult situation to come into. And I I mean, I'm maybe not everybody can relate to that exact same experience, but at least from the stories that are often shared with me from other clinicians, when it comes to agency work, you can't ignore the ways in which power is showing up and the ways in which some of the discourse around what it means what it means to be a therapist and a helper in a situation like that where you also there's also power at play in terms of like how much you're getting paid or what the boundaries are going to look like or how much work you're expected to do. It's really difficult to to navigate those situations, especially when you are like newly licensed or working towards your license. That is such, I'm going to use the word power. <laughs> that is such a powerful way to yeah. think about that. Um, it is, you know, if you cannot relate to the experience I had, which I, I hope you can't, um, there is so much, there's so much around the dynamic of power that happens. I mean, this is somebody who holds your paycheck. And like you yeah. said, one of the most, I, I supervise people as well. So I work with, you know, therapists that I consult with that are opening businesses, but also, therapists who are working in agencies um, and working towards their license. And you pointed out a lot of really common things like this power to give a lot of work to somebody um, that they couldn't possibly do in a work week. Um, This power to like ask people to put themselves into uncomfortable situations and accept lower pay and all of this kind of stuff. Um, I think that for anybody who has worked in that type of agency situation, there has been some sort of experience like that. Right. And I mean, I don't want, I don't want to only offer the single story of agency work, right? Like there's, I've, I've also heard like, 
about how incredible, how incredible those experiences have been and how much they have prepared people for the work that they, and the career that they eventually developed if they either left the agency or, um, or stayed with the agency and, and felt super passionate about the work that they were able to do through the agency. So I don't want to just, just offer the single sta- the single story around it, right? But like, I think it's so important to give voice to those challenges that can show up. I mean, this is this. So, you know, in for our podcast, I was like, I reached out to you like, Liz, can we talk about the transition for you from agency to private practice and like the mindset shifts and like the work you had to do to kind of make that transition? And I, I asked you because I have been asked so many times to cover this topic because it's really hard. I mean, I think that you know, when you are first coming into the field, it's like the idea of like building your own business or private practice or entrepreneurship is super can be super intimidating because we don't get any guidance on how to do that when we're in school. And a lot of us like never took a business class in our life, you know, before we start, you know, stepping into entrepreneurship or our own private practice. And so a lot of times, you know, you graduate, you have student loans or you're working, you need hours and the options that are going to most likely be available are going to be working at an agency, working at a hospital, like one of these types of settings. And while many people can have incredible experiences there and maybe even like learn how to have a business mindset through their supervision or through their experiences, I've heard so many horror stories or just feeling like you get so burnt out and you feel like used and abused in these situations and you're not getting paid what you're worth and and the power dynamics and and just I mean I just had an episode go live this week um, with um, a, a colleague who experienced a lot of microaggressions at her work mm-hmm. and I mean that can happen based on so many different identities that we can carry right as as clinicians and so I just would love to hear from you about that transition. Like you, you had really challenging experiences at an agency. That was your experience and your story. And how did you make the shift? Because I don't know if you had any business background or like, or or what that experience was like for you. But I know for many, it can be really intimidating and scary. Yeah. So a couple things, you know, going off of one thing you said is I think something that makes it intimidating is the fact that agency jobs, hospital jobs, whatever it is that you're working in before you're mm-hmm. thinking of going into private practice, they're they don't just have a singular narrative, right? So right. even if you're feeling like, well, this place held, you know, unfair power or they weren't paying me fairly, or I was working, I was overworked or whatever. There's all these other opportunities that are offered to you through mm-hmm. through that type of work, whether it's benefits. Um, oh my gosh, benefits, Liz! I've yeah. literally like the, the idea of having benefits has like almost led me to take jobs in the past that like I know I would have been so unhappy, but like the idea of benefits was so appealing. So yes, benefits. <laughs> yeah, so, and I feel like before I talk about like how I made the transition, it's just so important to validate that it is not singular. Like you said, Mm -hmm. like, you know, and not all agency jobs give benefits, but there, there is a lot that you do get. And that sometimes 
you might feel that you want to make that trade-off of, and I've talked to so many therapists, friends, supervisees, people I consult with, where it's like, do I trade off being exhausted and feeling underpaid because I know that, or I'm afraid that I won't be able to pay for my benefits. Um, Mm. And the other, the other types of things that you get from those jobs are, you know, like you, you mentioned great training experiences. A lot of those types of jobs offer you, you know, supervision, consultation. They might even offer you like a track to get certified in something. Um, The agency Mm -hmm. that I was working for, they had a great opportunity where if you stayed there for a couple of years, by the end of it, you were going to be certified in a really amazing modality. Um, So there are these Mm -hmm. trade-offs that I think when people begin to think about that transition, out of their workplace and into a workplace they're creating for themselves, it's kind of scary to think about not getting those things anymore. Um, And will you be able to replace them? And how is that going to impact you financially? How is it going to impact your ability to grow in your career and continue to get, you know, continuing education and all of that kind of stuff? Um, So I just want to mention that I think that a lot of people probably think about those things before you leave those those jobs, even if they know that on the other side of it, there's something that they feel a lot more passionate about, um, that they feel like it's going to give them a lot more freedom. It it can feel like, I don't know, a little trapping because it's scary, those those things. Um, I think that's the exact word that so many of these therapists that are reaching out and and wanting an episode on covering this topic are expressing is feeling stuck or feeling trapped um, or or feeling afraid, right? I think that you mentioned a lot of the pieces that people can be afraid of. I know that I shared definitely the fears around like stability, security when it came to finances um, and not having benefits or not having an agency that can pay my benefits. But there's also the fear of like isolation because, um, you know, while agency relationships aren't always going to be positive, like they can also be really positive. Like you can mm-hmm. also feel like you are a part of a community. I know that when I worked at a family medicine clinic at UCSD, that was a thing that I was like, I was feeling burnt out and I was really ready for something different. Um, clinically, and I wanted the independence and flexibility, but I was so sad to leave the relationships and to know that I could like walk out my door after a session and have other clinicians around and the nurses and the doctors and to just feel like day to day, I wasn't feeling alone, you know? Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I I know that that, that there's a lot of feelings that can come up around that that transition for a lot of people. So many. Even the job I mentioned, I was really, there was parts of me that was really sad to leave because I actually really loved my clients a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's another fear, right? Am I going to get clients again? Yes. Uh, The place that I'm working has, you know, you might be thinking this place I'm working is offering me just amazing opportunities to work with amazing people um, as a therapist and also as a colleague. And I was, I was super sad to leave my, my colleagues too. You know, we had co-therapists, so we were actually, you know, close. We spent time driving in cars together and all sorts of stuff. So that is another really valid fear 
other fears are like mindset type fears, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, there's these kind of tangible benefits of training, supervision, health insurance, all of that. But there's also benefits of working for someone because they structure your day, right? They tell you mm-hmm. how many hours a week you have to work. They, they tell you how you're going to submit that work. They submit your hours to payroll for you and make sure that that check gets into your bank account or is cut and, and you know, sent to your mailing address for you. Um, you know, you don't have to really know behind the scenes, like if the agency is struggling to make rent that month or, um, yeah, you know, you don't, if the agency is in trouble with an insurance company, like those are things you don't really have to know. And I, another thing I hear a lot from people who are making the transition is like, oh, you know, that like thinking about all of these things that I'm going to have to take on is overwhelming because, Mm. I went to school to be a therapist and right now in my job at the hospital or the agency or whatever, like I am going in and I'm doing clinical work or something like that. And now all of a sudden I'm going to have to be an accountant and a boss and manage myself and order order supplies and just like the list goes on and on and on. And I think that that is kind of scary too. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to figure out how you're maintaining your own health, your own client records. You're going to have to figure out like, how am I paying taxes? (laughs) Like all, all of those things, like what kind of business entity am I going to have? Am I a sole proprietor? And like, I mean, is it, do I need to form like, you know, a corporation and oh, just all, all of those steps. And gosh, I wish that we, there was a class that we would be, that we would get a chance to take in grad mm-hmm. school that just covered all of these things. Um, and I think that what both you and I in our work with therapists recognize is that there's just this huge gap in like that sort of support, right? Like the business support, but it's also, there's also so many layers to all of that support. It's not just about business. It's about the mindset. It's about being able to integrate like creative marketing. It's about being able to set your own schedule so that you can protect yourself from burnout. Like it's, there's so many layers that can go into it. And I know for myself, when I was transitioning into private practice, there was a really steep learning curve around these things. And I didn't like, I spent tons of time on Google, like trying to figure it all out. And I just wish that I I, I had wanted it to be so much more streamlined, which is why I ended up like, you know, years later, once I felt like I had learned a ton about how to do it and how to do it successfully while making tons of mistakes along the way, right? Like, which I learned from. Um, That's why I ended up building out the Modern Therapist Academy course as just a way to like give people like one place to go where they have like that guidance and then and then community and support because obviously like once you like launch or start your business or you make shifts to grow and scale your business like there's still going to be things that come up along the way and you need that kind of continued connection and community but i just those were all the things that i felt like i was missing in the beginning and there just was this huge gap that i think unfortunately keeps a lot of therapists trapped or stuck in in one place where like not and not that every therapist has a passion of owning their own business or like 
wants to be an entrepreneur in that way. But for those that do, and there's that little like voice in their head that's saying, there's something else out here I want to be creating or doing, and they feel stuck or overwhelmed. Like I just, I want, I want them to know that they can feel empowered with like the tools and the support to be able to do that. I mean, I, I felt like I, really struggled in that transition. Um, and it was so scary, especially around like security, stability, and just fear of that isolation. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And when I made the transition, I made it pretty abruptly. Um, yeah. because, you know, I, I kind of left and I talked to my dad and he was like, Nope, ask for your last paycheck and <laughs> you're done. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah are you sure? (laughs) What am I do? And so I had this just like rock bottom moment. I mean, I had recently like gone through something with a bad relationship and Mm -hmm. moved across the country. I am not kidding you. I had no money because actually their previous paycheck to me had bounced. Um, And they owed me some money as well. And so I was like, what am I going to do for money? And he was just like, you just have to find another job. And Mm -hmm. I remember I kind of looked around like monster.com and all of these things. And I was just like, I, there's nothing, there's nothing that feels like it's going to like honor my own creativity and pay me, um, what I need to survive. You know, like I had student debt that was pretty significant. Um, and I, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure most of the people listening do. And so I did a couple interviews and they were lovely. And like, there was again, something that I, I liked about these, these job opportunities, like getting the training or whatever. Um, but it was kind of taking a long time. And I asked my dad, can I borrow like 500 bucks <laughs> and like <laughs> just borrow the, the money so that I can start a practice? And he was like, you're gonna need a lot more than that. And I was like, <laughs> I promise I'll figure it out. And somehow I found this like office space that they let me only sign for two months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like maybe two fifty a month, and it was nothing special. And this is something I say to people a lot making this transition: people want to work with you; they don't want to work with all the money you spend on you. Yes. So exactly, I, I did. So that was literally like have like that was a huge part of it for me as well. As I found an office space that like rented, it, the, the rent was so cheap; it was like. $35 for a half day, um, like one, like for like one half day. And so like, then obviously if you're working that same half day every week, like that, that's where it sort of like adds up, but it was still so, so low. It was like this little shoe box, but, um, but also there were other providers in there that I could, and then I did eventually get referrals from. So even though it was like, not my ideal, like um, I don't know, like style or any of those things. Like you're so right. Like I actually, when I did actually make a transition to my office that I'm in now, which has a window, like a big window and is like, you know, um, a much is, is a very like aesthetically pleasing place for me. Right. Again, um, just based on like my own taste and my own style. I actually had some clients that really missed my old space because there was something for them that felt really intimate about it. It was a smaller office. And that was actually really interesting for me to be like, huh. So 
I mean, first, like I definitely have some clients. I had a client this week share that um, because of the work we're doing around her trauma, she really appreciates how um, like open and light and bright my office feels. It just that helps her in her process. But, you know, at the end of the day, like it really is about the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and yes, you, because you're spending a lot of time in that space, want to feel good in the space. But in the beginning, like I think one of the only ways that I was able to make it work was my overhead costs were really, really low. Mine too. And for anyone thinking of making this transition, like I love to just like take the pressure off of people of spending money. Like you, I have a beautiful office now. Like it is, I love it. I love going there. I sometimes like being there more than my own house. There's a window. (laughs) There's beautiful art. Like it's what I always dreamed of, but I would not have gotten there if I was not pinching pennies in the beginning. Um, And I had to pinch pennies in the beginning. So if you have the money to do it, go all out, go for it. (laughs) But you're feeling stuck and a lot of people in, you know, the beginning of your career, you might, because you're not making a ton of money. Don't Mm -hmm. Stuck because you feel like you don't have the money for a perfect website or for a perfect this or new furniture. You know, I spent a ton of time on Google just figuring out how to build my own website. Was it ugly? Yeah, but I figured out SEO, so it showed up. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, spent a lot of time communicating with other professionals offering free workshops, like anything I could do so people knew I existed. And all of this stuff was free for me to do, essentially. Um, Furniture. I took furniture from my mom's basement. Like a (laughs) leg of a desk was kind of broken and I taped it. I mean, you couldn't see the tape because it was Mm -hmm. under the desk, but it looked fine for the time being. And I filled a practice and if nobody really ever had a problem with the fact that we were in a shoebox, and yeah. if they did, when I moved to the nicer office, they made a joke about it. Like, oh, thank God we're out of the shoebox now or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Nice to know That's... what you're really thinking. <laughs> yes, but it's so funny because I noticed that now, like I've, I've noticed that around like session three or four, clients will come in and they'll be like, has this always been there? Has that always been there? And the thing is, is that people are coming in a really, because they are in a vulnerable position and they're looking to you for support. And when it comes to like all the other things, like, yes, I do think it's important to like for your office to hopefully be accessible, that there's parking available. Um, you know, that it's, that it's something that, you know, that they, like, it fits the, uh, different body shapes and like, depending on who you're seeing, like if you're working with moms and they're b- bringing their babies, that it's maybe stroller accessible, like these things matter. Um, but also like also like keeping those costs low really allowed me to feel like i had more security to jump into something that eventually built out like my my dream job and my ideal practice and um yeah i mean in terms of like the website and stuff like i definitely know a lot of clinicians, they are, I think that this is something that can kind of come up with social media because you also have all this access to what other therapists are doing and like maybe even what their offices look like, what their websites look like or where they're at. And I think that we have to recognize that we are comparing like 
where we are, I mean, if we're just starting off, to like somebody else's highlight reel who's maybe been in doing this work for years or had has different resources than they did, right? Like, and just I think that comparison can actually keep people feeling like I can only launch my business when all of these things have come together. When like for the for for me, and I think for most people, maybe you can share your experience with this. Like I was building my business like as I was starting, right? Like obviously there were things that I had to make sure that I had ahead of time, like my, figuring out my paperwork, figuring out how I was how I was going to like keep my client records, like making sure that I had um, you know liability insurance and like these sort of things. But like when it came to like my website, when it came to like um, social media marketing, when it came to even having like things on my walls in my office, like yeah. that that happened like over time. Like I needed to start seeing clients and to start um, marketing myself to my community and like with, you know, making connections so that people knew that I was in business before all those other things were there. I mean, my website for so long was literally just, here's my, here's a picture of me. Here's my phone mm-hmm. number. And like, no, this is like too. what part of town I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It was like a one page. Yeah. Yeah. Know. And I think the website is a really good example of just how everything kind of can look in your practice, which is that you can add a page at a time, (laughs) like, you know, start with a sofa or a chair that will fit your clients, you know, and a space where, like you said, if you're working with mothers, like it needs to be stroller accessible or something, start with that. And then like later on, you can add on the artwork on the walls. You can add on the beautiful curtains, like the window, you can add all of that on, like not stuck with where you start, but you have to start. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, actually I didn't even rent my office space until two months after deciding to start a business. And so uh-huh. you know, that first month was all about figuring out exactly like what I was going to file as, you know, sole proprietor right. or LLC or S corp or whatever. Um, the, you know, in the second month was, all about marketing while I was developing everything else. So I was marketing while I was creating my paperwork, you know, because I didn't have anybody that needed to sign paperwork yet. So (laughs) I wasn't going to wait to market until my paperwork was done. Um, I I was growing all of that at the same time. And I got my first phone call before I had an office. And that mm-hmm. was the plan the whole time along was I'm not going to spend a dime on an office space until I can schedule somebody. Yeah. And, you know, they called and I said, yes, I'd love to see you. I have an availability next Friday. It gave me like eight days or something. <laughs> I love it. And I just called a lot of places and I found this location. And if I hadn't, just a hint for anybody out there, many therapists are so happy to sublet their spaces. Yes. So if I did not find a spot, I was just going to email a friend and say, can I pay you 30 bucks for the hour to see this, this right. person? Um, right. So yeah, I just, I continually added on. So then I had the office space. Then I created a website that had two pages and then one with three mm-hmm. pages. Um, you know, my paperwork, I printed it out and then I moved towards having it online for them to complete online. Like you don't mm-hmm. need to be at where everyone else is five or six years later. It can oh, be right. very low tech, very low budget, 
um, because people will still come see you. Um, yeah, and I think that teletherapy is another. It's like now that teletherapy is is an option, and is also there's there's obviously like platforms and ways to make that you know an, an easier option. I mean. I think that if I, I was like, when I first started, I was like, no, teletherapy, I'm not going to do it. Like for me, it's got to be in person. And now I'm just like, I'm all about teletherapy. (laughs) Like, I mean, and so I think that if I had started, if I was starting over again um, and I'm about to go on maternity leave. So I, and I am going to be leaving my office space. um, So obviously I'm starting from a different position than I did initially, but I know that I'm probably going to slowly transition back in by offering teletherapy as I kind of rebuild a few things like finding an office space or figuring out what I want that to look like and where I want to be. Um, you know, I think that there's definitely the options. And I think that I love how scrappy you were that you were like, all right, yeah, so I have availability next Friday, like super confident. And then you're just like, all right, now I got to figure it out. Like whether that's like running off, running out an hour from a, another provider or or what, like you, you made it happen to get you, to get yourself started. I love that. Yes. And I, I mean, I had the $500 only, so. <laughs> I was able to be so scrappy that I figured it out with that $500. And, and from there it kind of, you know, it, it grew. And one thing I love to talk about is then I made lots and lots of mistakes Mm, and I still ended up being okay. And so I think sometimes people are so afraid to make mistakes. Um, I'm afraid to, I mean, everybody's afraid to make mistakes because especially when it's unknown territory, you think, well, I'm not going to know how to get out of it or how will I fix it. Um, But what I do want to say is that at the end of being in practice for several years now and growing, you know, into an office that has many employees, um, Mm -hmm. who will get through your mistakes? They might cost you some headaches and some time and a little bit of money, Mm -hmm. um, all things that I've experienced from my own mistakes, but it's not going to be indicative of whether you're successful or not. You know, Mm -hmm. being able to face those mistakes, come up with a creative solution to them, own them, and then keep going, that's what's going to be, you know, really indicative of whether or not you can grow. Um, And so I love to just tell people like, you will make mistakes. Like don't, don't even be, don't even believe that you won't. And when you do just call your accountant, call your attorney, um, call your therapist friend, like, and fix it. Um, Some of the mistakes I made were, I um, somehow ended up with two EIN numbers, which if you're Mm -hmm. listening and you don't know any of these, you're like, oh my God, what's an EIN number? I didn't even know I needed one. (laughs) And so don't worry about it. Like you, you figure it out, right? And like, if you need guidance, there's, 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 there's support out there and steps and guides and checklists of where to go. Yes. You'll figure it out. You'll go Google it right now. And you're still going to be like, what the heck is an EIN number? Yeah, I even actually wanted to address that, like you mentioned SEO earlier, and someone would be like, "What in the world is SEO?" And like, if you want a resource right now for SEO, I actually have a podcast episode with Dr. Michaela all about copywriting, the magic of copywriting. Go find that episode, and you'll learn about SEO. (laughs) It stands for Search Engine Optimization. It's basically like making your website and stuff searchable. 
Yeah. But yeah, an EIN number. And so you had two. Oh my gosh. Like I imagine that was, was confusing for well, many reasons. Um, confusing. And it also made me look for some reason like I had a profit. You're listen to this. It it made it look like I had a profit of sixty thousand dollars in my first year of practice, which oh. is not possible. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially because I had started in September. Um oh. Yeah. So it made it look like I had a profit, which means like after expenses, after everything. So I was taxed. I was, I think, asked to pay almost $30,000 in taxes my first year. Um, So that's a huge hiccup, right? And I like to share it because I want you to see as, you know, an entrepreneur that's starting out that I survived the hiccup. You know, Mm -hmm. I... I was able to go to, and I always encourage people, go to people who know it better than you. I was able to go to a different accountant. You know, I found somebody else and this person was able to really help me navigate what happened and talk to the IRS for me. And, you know, I actually ended up getting money back that year instead of even owing money. Um, But had I been embarrassed of my mistake, I actually might not have fixed it and I might've paid money. And I also might've quit and mm-hmm. I might've said, oh my gosh, it's way too hard to be in business. I can't afford paying $30,000 in taxes. <sighs> um, so that's always something I really like talking about with people is just everyone you see that's been a success has had maybe not that particular moment, but they've had a moment like that where it's, you know, what's going on? Why am I not getting referrals? Why did I forget to, you know, I've, I've worked with somebody who forgot to um, re-sign up for their website. So they lost their domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Those things, they happen. Yeah. And it's a painful experience. And mm-hmm. because you're creative and because, um, you know, you're a therapist, so you have good communication skills, you're going to be able to work through these things. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you don't, I think that, I think the fear is like navigating all these things alone. And I think that that's something that doesn't have to be your truth, right? Like I know that you offer consultation. I know that there are, um, I have my course and the group and community, but like, there's also just like in your own network, right? Like whoever's listening, like there's peer consultation, like it's connecting with other therapists that are in private practice in your area. It's, about like getting getting the right people on your team, right? So like finding an accountant that really understands your business, you know, having um, an attorney maybe to support you through the formation of your corporation, your S corp. Like it's having the right people on your team so that you don't you know that you recognize that you don't have to know everything right like that there are people who are professionals in these different areas that can teach you can support you um and and building that team is just is so important i think i think that it 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 can really help in the process of being an entrepreneur and and doing this work when we can oftentimes feel like there is um it can feel inherently like we're going to be isolated but we don't have to be Absolutely. And that's really how you create. And a lot of what I talk about with people when I'm consulting is how can you almost create a new workplace for yourself when mm-hmm. it can feel isolating, it can feel unstructured sometimes like because you have to be your own boss. And part of creating that workplace is, quote, 
you know, hiring part of that workplace, which is having an accountant that you can go to, having having an attorney that you can go to, um, so that you are not actually completely isolated. You right. have a team that understands your business and you. Um, and a lot of times, attorneys and accountants are happy to just do that first time consulting call with you so that you know yes. they're on your team. You don't have to even usually pay anything or it's very minimal. Um, and then you talk to them when something comes up, right? At tax time, Mm -hmm. that's the time you would finally be utilizing them. But in the very beginning, you can get those people on your team without having to make a huge investment. Um, I don't know if you find this in your work sometimes, just that people want a therapist or they want a lawyer or they want an accountant on their team, but they're really fearful that calling one is going to cost money they don't have yet. Um, Right. Right. So I have an attorney that helped me with my S Corp and our initial phone consultation was free. And then mm-hmm. she like sent over the proposal to me of like what um, the formation would cost. Like, to- like there was no hidden fees, like exactly what it would look like. It was very clear that if like after all that formation, if I had to reach out with questions, like what that would be billed at. Um, and, and yeah, it was, but like making that initial call, making a few initial calls to see who might be the right fit and would understand my business the best and who I'd feel confident with, like those initial calls did not cost me anything. And I think that, um, if, if somebody was going to charge me for that, like that might not just not be the right fit depending on where I was in my career, you know? Good point. Yeah. And you might call them later on. <laughs> right. Exactly. They say, oh, that's not going to work for me right now because I can't afford the whatever the fee is. But yeah. it, a lot of people will get on your team without you having to make a big investment at first. Um, right. And so, you know, put yourself out there and make those phone calls to just see if they're a good fit for you. Usually they want to talk to you first to make sure that you're a good fit for them as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that it's just a great way to take yourself out of isolation. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, like the co- like my the cost of my business over the years have gone up, and my overhead has gone up because I was making more, and it was something that was contributing to the growth of my business. Like hiring a graphic designer to do all my branding and to like revamp my website for me and just having someone else do it all. Right. Um, but in the beginning, like there are so many ways that like we, like we were saying earlier, like just literally having a place where people can find your contact info, using online directories to share your information as well. And kind of, I know people that use like their online directory profile, like if it's psychology today, for example, Mm -hmm. like as their website, like for a very long time, like that's how they share their contact information. And then eventually you can use like templates. Um, You can use, you can go on Etsy and find like, you know, little branding packets that like are going to be pretty low cost that you can just customize with your information. There's a lot of options in the beginning before you get to a point, or if you ever decide you want to get to the point of having, of hiring someone to like really do like a personalized branding um, across all platforms, social media, newsletters, website, like all that stuff can come. Like in the beginning, it's about, it's really just about taking that step to get it started, right? To like start yeah. that dream, to start doing the work that's aligned with your values. 
of being able to have the flexibility and freedom and creativity in the work that you do. Like those were all of my like guiding light values, like keep going, even when the going got tough, right? Even when I made like big mistakes or um, was not, or, or had a month where like, you know, I was, it was a really slow month and I hadn't prepared for it, right? Like all those things were things that I had to learn over time. But I also think that there are so many more resources now where therapists don't have to go in as blindly as maybe I did, right, in the very beginning because I, those resources weren't something that I was um, – that I had access to. So I know that you have resources as we're wrapping up here. And so I'd love to hear about the resources that you have for clinicians and where people can find you and your work. Yeah, so you can find me at Modern Therapy Practice. Um, very similar to the <laughs> But I love it. Both are on the same wavelength. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, on Instagram, and I share tips there. And you can also link from Instagram over to my blog where I write, you know, articles and I share with you information and just the kind of stuff that will help you jumpstart um, your practice. And I also offer a course, which I offer a few times a year, which is called the MBA for Therapist Masterclass. And yeah. we talk about, um, you know, how to manage money in your practice. We talk about just business stuff. Like earlier, we were saying most of us haven't gone to business school. My only background with it really was that I had business owner families, um, uh -huh. you know, my, my parents and my grandparents and all of that. And I had that degree in organizational development, but other than that, like I didn't know anything. And so over the last several years, I've compiled a lot of information just to help you understand what does it mean to run a business, how yeah. to work with your business mindset, um, and to really build those skills because you already have the skills to be a therapist. Um, right. So I just love to help you feel more confident about your decision-making in business. Um, and so, yeah, those are the two places that you can find me at, at Modern Therapy Practice on Instagram or www.moderntherapypractice.com. And you can learn more about that program there if you're interested. And you're also at Liz Listens if anybody wants to follow you there as well, because I know that's sort of where you set, you share more of your general mental health um, content. Yes. So at Liz Listens is, you know, my baby. That is my main account <laughs> yes. where I put the most energy into in terms of Instagram. Um, and my practice is at A Better Life Therapy um, in Philadelphia in case you want to look at it and you can look at my website and stuff like that and see that it's a nice website now. But sometimes on my Instagram, I share what it used to look like. <laughs> I love that. And love that. yeah, like what my logo looked like that I made in Microsoft Word and stuff like that. <laughs> so if you look at the stuff now, I want you to also imagine a blank white page with a, f a selfie of myself and um, a logo that I created in Microsoft Word. That looks like so scrappy. I love it, Liz. <laughs> oh, well, Liz, I am so grateful to know you and be connected with you. And I just, I love the community that 
that we've been able to build around supporting other clinicians. I love your mission, super aligned with it, as you know, and I'm just really grateful for you taking the time today. And if anyone's listening and they're looking, they're interested in any of those things you mentioned, I'll be sure to include those in the show notes. Liz, thank you so much for taking the time. I am so excited to share this episode with everyone because I know that so many people have been waiting for an episode like this. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. I really hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. Ready to build or grow your modern private practice? Click the link in the show notes for Modern Therapist Academy, a comprehensive e-course to support you in building and growing your private practice. Thank you for inviting me and my guests into your day. Be sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear when new episodes launch. Have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.